Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Rev. Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Tara Beth Leach. And I'm Mark Quanstrom. So, Mark, how's your week going? Oh, it started really well. So um, every spring and fall, I take a trip to Texas to see our son and daughter-in-law and four grandsons, Mm -hmm. their children. Mm -hmm. And um, we have very capable preachers at College Church, and the church gives me liberty to leave periodically. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sunday night, um, I received an email from someone uh, at College Church, and this was the email. Pastor Mark. I was very disappointed when I watched the service on YouTube with a new friend here. I'll be honest with you. I find it hard to believe that you take off to visit your family during the month of March, prime time for the church. There was also no choir, and the sound here coming through on YouTube was very weak. Also, there is no place for me to get involved teaching at College Church. A new adult class was announced, and I was never asked to supply. By the way, my friend noticed when the cameras panned out that the sanctuary was half empty. Lent is off to a great start at College Church. And then he signed off on it. And that's what I got uh, as a response to kind of a weekly prompt that I send every week. So I promptly resigned, and I'm no longer in the pastoral ministry. There you go. So There you go. You know, Mark, I've, I've never received an email like that in I can't my imagine entire that you would. ministry journey. Um, no, <laughs> my goodness. It's, there's a script that these, these emails have. Um, and... My goodness, I've I've gotten many of them, and these emails usually come on Monday, right? Yeah, this was Sunday night. So, and okay. I was, I think I read it on the plane as I was flying okay. home from Texas, right? Uh huh. So, um, it pushed all my buttons, of course. Yeah. Uh, because the measure of success is quality streaming, a full sanctuary, yep. and I can justify the sanctuary half empty. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, but I could justify it for sure, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but one of the reasons that we push these podcasts out on Monday is because we know that Monday is the day of resignation for pastors. Yes. They've given themselves on Sunday. They are emotionally and spiritually spent. Mm-hmm. Um, our expectations um, lead us to disappointment often. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are wanting this podcast to be a reminder to every pastor who is doing the work of the Lord of uh, the gift that ministry is in mm-hmm. spite of these. Right. And uh, we want we want the takeaway from these podcasts to be, uh, yeah, this is really a gift that God has given me, mm-hmm. um, and to identify, uh, we're all doing kind of the same kind of work, and we all are serving the same kind of people mm-hmm. who have their expectations as well. Yeah, yeah, and as we have been reflecting over the last couple of months on incarnational ministry. Um, in the incarnation of Jesus, um, we then remember that though Jesus did not um, live in an email world, he certainly received some hasty uh, replies from folks. Um, he encountered aggressive people. And True. he, you know, if he would have been around today, I'm sure he would have been accused of failure. Quite. Um, well, well, if you look at kind of our corporate model for church, mm-hmm. uh, the pragmatic outcomes as evidence of successful ministry, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he was. He he certainly was not. Cons- he was certainly not a success. Right, right. You know, and so today we have uh, my dear friend, Reverend Sean Isaac Palmer, who is a pastor at Ecclesia Church in Houston. Sean and I met several years ago um, through a ministry that he and I both uh, participate and lead and write for Missio Alliance. And when I met Sean, it was just instant friendship. And he now, to this day, is is the guy that I call often when I have a problem I need to think through um, and wrestle through. Uh, he is a fount of wisdom and also a fount of humor, uh, which I'm sure you'll find. Uh, Sean also happens to be an author. Um, he He's written uh, Unarmed Empire, uh, 40 Days on Being a Three. Sean is an Enneagram Three. We won't hold that against him. And speaking by the numbers. And so, Sean, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to see you and to talk with you all. Yeah. Sean, we started off this episode with a letter that Mark received from a congregant who's flustered for a number of things. And of course, you know, whenever I read letters like that from congregants, I think, okay, what is this person really going through? What's underneath the surface? Obviously, there's some pain. What are the things that they aren't saying? And of course, there are many, many things that that person is not saying because they're hurting. Um, but those those letters really still can get underneath the surface of us at times, depending, especially on a Sunday night. My goodness, on a Sunday night or Monday when we're drained, when we're exhausted. I'm sure, Sean, you've you've got notes like that from folks before, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Some, as, as pastors of uh, churches, that uh, have multiple gatherings on the weekend. Uh, you know, I've gotten emails like from folks who were like at nine o'clock worship gathering before the 11 o'clock started, right? Um, like, when did you even bother to send this? Or couldn't you not? I was just standing right there. You couldn't come find me. We could talk about this. Um, yeah, and they always come at the wrong, t- the, the worst time for you. Um, and there's always something behind my guy. One email, which I really appreciated, but it was uh, one of our community members emailed me last week and she wanted to talk about something that happened last May and it was still bothering her. And I thought this is a great, healthy, um, strong, emotional way to handle your disappointment. I mean, like some people will say like, leadership is the art, right? Of disappointing people at a rate that they can stand. so if you are like disappointed and you can wait almost a year, say like, this is still bothering me. Like that alerts my ears in a completely different way um, than someone, something that I get on Sunday night or Monday, but people are going through a lot. And here's the image that I talk with our staff about. It's like all of us walk around with this bag of pain. We're just like carrying it around. Mm-hmm. And we are wow. hoping that someone will take it from us. And we do, we make mm-hmm. these overtures to people all the time emotionally to take this bag and take this bag of pain, take healthy people that we walk up to and ask them to take our bag of pain. They will say, wow, I see you're carrying that. Let me walk with you. Unhealthy people will take it for you or mock it. Um, but in the end, like, to make other help other people become um, who they need to be and to flourish, like they have to carry that. And so those those emails come 
to everybody and it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Right. Your church side, like no one sits down and sits down and writes that email and thinks, wow, this person has written a lot of books or they're really popular outside of our church or my friend likes them. Mm-hmm. Like all of those other things that can be very confusing to the rest of the world. Like people need some place to take their pain and pastors are not the, it's not a pastor's fault, but we are convenient. Um, yes. And so if you tell your pastor, like your therapist can even say, I don't want to see you anymore. Your friends can say, let's not hang out. Like, there are all of these consequences for these other relationships in your life, but your pastor is not going to do that. And so pastors yeah. are a convenient receptacle for that kind of pain. I would just add this because we have this rule at Ecclesia. If anyone asks to teach, they will never teach. <laughs> like the guy that says, I wasn't asked to teach. Well, you won't ever be because there's something fundamentally like unhealthy about the idea that we should automatically look to you for guidance. Oh, I get emails like that. I often think, is there a line or two in here? Because people actually do want to share their pain. Is there a lie or yeah. two in here that actually reveals what the issue is? Like, because the issue is never the issue, but we are not as good as we think we are at hiding what the issue is, like the underlying issue. Um, That's right. And I, I'm guessing, Mark, like if that, if whoever wrote you that email, like if you had asked them to teach, they wouldn't have cared that you were gone or how many people the video showed were there. I'm imagining if, I don't know what it's like where you are, um, next week is spring break here. I'm expecting no one to be in our worship gallery. Like it'll be half full uh, because of our, because the folks that we deal with typically uh, travel. But those are hard, but everybody gets them. And you just have to think, not react. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my response to the email is to visit him. Mm. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to him. Um, there's a, there's a lot going on and, um, I didn't really take it to heart because I recognized the pain inherent in it and I obviously didn't resign. Um, but it, but it wasn't without, it wasn't without teeth. I mean, it, it it did affect me, Uh but my response is I need to go visit and spend some time with him. So that's, that's my response. I'm going to visit with them. I'm not going to call them on the email. I'm not going to say you shouldn't have written the email. I'm just going to say, how are you doing? Mm. I haven't chatted with you in a long time Mm. and we need to visit. Wow. Yeah. You've reflected on why you do pastoral visitations and home visits Mm -hmm. before. And I'm always so moved and inspired um, by that posture. So, so switching gears for a moment, um, Sean, I, I want to just back up and reflect a little bit on your story and calling to ministry for the listeners that don't know you or maybe aren't familiar with your work. Tell us about those early years, your your call and um, how you ended up pastoring. Yeah, so that's it's um, a long story, kind of like when people ask you, how long did it take? How long did it take you to write a sermon? And the answer is all my life. Mm. Right. Um, and so I grew up, like, I was a child of the church. I grew up in southern Mississippi along the Gulf Coast. Um, I grew up in Churches of Christ, 
which for folks who don't know that tribe, like we're part of what was called the restoration movement. So it includes churches of Christ, Christian churches and disciples of Christ. Um, and the church was always central to me and who our family was. Um, and I like took that to heart. Like I was one of those kids who actually thought that what they said at church was important from a young age. Like, so, and what I mean by that is I didn't know that there was a difference between Sunday school and regular school. And so when there was like an assignment at Sunday school, I took it as seriously as I took it at Sunday school. So if they said like memorize this verse or show up at this time or do these things. Um, and the church that I was a part of as a kid, like my parents didn't help plant or start, but we were there pretty early on. Like I remember meeting in a storefront when I was six, seven years old. And when we bought a piece of land to build a church building, um, and the men and women of that church, like literally building that church with our bare hands. Like, so I have vivid memories of being a child and running through this, what would become our sanctuary and these huge rolls of insulation that were going up in the ceiling. And me and my brother and other kids like playing hide and seek among the insulation and then getting home and wondering why we were itchy. Um, and so I was always just a kid of the church. And when I was in high school, we were living in Atlanta, Georgia by then. Like I was in it, we found ourselves through a couple of different circumstances uh, in a church that had this really great uh, uh, youth ministry. I had a great youth pastor. His name was Van Conwell. He's one of the people that um, Speaking by the Numbers is dedicated to. And he just had this vision of a Jesus that was real. And I shared that with us. And so even though I was in youth group in the late 80s and early 90s during all of the, like, I miss purity culture. I miss true love weights. I miss all of that stuff that was popular at the time. <laughs> because he was like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Um, hmm. wow. And we were like, wow. like serving in the inner city. Um, and, you know, underprivileged and under-resourced community. And so uh, he meant so much to me. I was, you know, we were coming back from a trip somewhere and I was sitting in the front seat of the, you know, in the 15 passenger van. And it was late at night. Like everybody else in the van was like headphones on listening to like their, you know, Walkmans because that's what we had in the day. Um, and he and I <laughs> talking and I asked him why he became, why he went into ministry because I was a senior, <clears throat> I was a senior in high school at that time. And he said, I, will, I just wanted to do something that had eternal significance. Mm. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Like to do something that had eternal mm. significance. So I graduated high school. I went out to Abilene Christian University, which is a school connected to my denomination. I was a political science major and always wanted to major in political science, then go to law school. And he invited me to come back and we had a really robust youth ministry and they would have like seven to 11 interns in the summer because there was so much going on. Like there were trips going everywhere. It was like so many things happening. And, um, I kind of had this conversation with God that no one made me have, <laughs> like, I don't know why I did it, but I had this conversation with God and I thought, I'm going to go back. I'm going to intern. And if I feel like I like it, then I'll, 
come back to school and I'll change my major and I'll go into ministry. And that's what happened. So I had an undergraduate degree in youth and family ministry, which is basically adolescent development with some Bible classes thrown in on top of it. And like, that was what led me into ministry. So I was a youth pastor for, um, I've been in ministry now full time for 26 years. For the first 12, I was a youth pastor. Um, mm. Which is the which was the best preaching training that anyone could possibly get because you have to listen to preaching instead of preach. And most preachers mm-hmm. I have worked with mm-hmm. haven't listened to enough preaching to preach competently. Um, so right. anyway, that's another bias I can come back to later. Um, listening to preaching as an adult is a different is a different sort of thing. Um, sure and helpful. Um, and so, yeah, I went, I graduated college. I went to work for a church of about 150. Most churches of Christ in the country, you should know, are under 100 people. Um, so I was there for three years. We then moved to Houston. I was at another congregation for, that was about the same size. And it was then that I started like speaking a lot at youth events. And we had our senior pastor who moved away. They asked me to step in and kind of fill the void while they were looking for the next senior pastor. And I started preaching more often. And that felt like uh, more than anything, like, oh, this is what all this was for. This is what God actually wanted me to do. Um, That particular church thought at the time that I was too young and too uneducated um, to meet their needs, which I totally get and understand. So they offered to send me back to school. So I went and did my MDiv, split it between Austin Presbyterian Presbyterian, the Graduate School of Theology at Abilene Christian University, where I'd gone to undergrad and Fuller Seminary. So that's kind of how that happened, my my call to this point. Um, After that, I mean, we moved to California. We were there for a few years, moved back to Texas. I'm near my mother-in-law for several reasons. And then for the last five years, um, I've been in Houston at Ecclesia. But our journey with Ecclesia has been about 20 years because we have done, our family has done stuff with Ecclesia for the last 20 years because I've known the church. Chris, who is a founding pastor, Chris C., our founding pastor, since we were both about 28 or 29. And Ecclesia was very young, maybe a year or two old at the time. Wow. Wow. I I love how relatable in a lot of ways your story is for so many of us who were called into ministry in that um, oftentimes we're impacted by a youth pastor um, or a pastor or someone we look up to. And I know that was the case for me. I saw some youth pastors and I was like, I want to be like them. I want to do what they do. And so, Sean, you mentioned that you've You've pastored in a few places. I Mm -hmm. believe you've been a lead pastor, and now you're a teaching pastor. I wonder if you might uh, tell us a little bit about your experience in particular in California. Yeah, so we had been in Houston for about a decade, and we were feeling the need uh, to be a a senior pastor and mostly to use um, teaching gifts. And so we went to this church outside of San Francisco. Um, our girls were really young at the time. Um, our youngest had just turned, was turned two the week we moved there. She's 16 now. Um, and our oldest was just starting school. And we figured that's a great 
great time to move because you're starting new schools and all that anyway. And almost from the beginning, it was a bad fit um, because mm. I had grown up in uh, my, in Churches of Christ, we're very apolitical. And um, in lots of ways, like in Churches of Christ, there have, at least when I was uh, growing up, there was a lot of theological freedom, even though there wasn't freedom around practices. Like if you wanted to be a church of Christ and it's a loose affiliation, there's no denominational structure. Like it was acapella worship, male only leadership, um, things like that. But you could think anything that you wanted to think as long as it didn't interfere with practices. And so conversations were always fairly robust um, because there was theological freedom. And I did not experience that there. And almost immediately when I got there, um, I, actually before I got there, uh, like I was like persona non grata for at least a third of the church. Uh, they didn't wow. like that I, not they didn't like my politics particularly. They said they didn't like my politics, but what they really didn't like was my hermeneutic, <laughs> right? And so, um, and that I wasn't the same persuasion of politics that they were, and they had been very, and this recent history of being very open about a particular brand of politics, and that wasn't me. Uh, so what mm -hmm. that meant was immediately distrusted, like all of those things that are really important for you to do when you're in a new ministry context, to build trust and, you know, for, for me, I always want to lead from trust rather than power. Like, mm -hmm. it's not a good idea just because um, I've got the keys and the checkbook. And so we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to be trusted. Some of that is the way my personality is structured. Some of that is because theological commitments. Um, I do believe that Jesus's way in the world is fundamentally non-coercive. So I don't want to be mm -hmm. a coercive person. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to play politics in the church. I don't mm -hmm. want to move around people. Like, I don't want to maneuver around people, rather. Like, these are the cards, and I think the best argument should win. The best reasoning should win. The person who has the clearest vision of the future. Like, that's how we make decisions. And so I was, like, immediately um, at odds with a good deal of the congregation. It happened to be at a point where there was a lot of political animosity just in general in America. And so, you know, you layer onto that, Terabeth, the idea that coming out of college at a denominational school, I had been told by my professors, by people, because I'd come from kind of a, a church in Atlanta that was well known. It's a kind of in Churches of Christ, everyone is only removed from everyone else by about four degrees, that everybody knows everybody. And the word on the street was like, uh, oh, Sean Palmer, um, he's going to be the next star or one of the next stars. And one of the reasons I ended up going to California was the church where I was in Houston fired me. Like, they made a decision that there were some, there were competing divisions between me at the time 
and the senior minister they had hired after I had preached in the interim. And they said, like, we have to choose whether we're going to be Sean's church or this other person's church. And so they felt like their hands were tied. So, um, like I was fired and they did it probably in the most gracious way they could. They gave me like 10 months, which seems more, seems really gracious, but the reality is we had some people in leadership who had, who had children who were seniors in high school and they wanted me to finish their senior year before they, they cut me loose. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so, so wait, you, you're at this church in Houston uh and new pastor comes in and you had been the interim Mm -hmm. and the new pastor comes in and they said, Sean, you don't have a future here. And in 10 months you're leaving. Right. Right. So So you had to stay 10 months knowing that you were not going to stay. Right. That was their, that was their vision. Like let's, this was in. You know, late summer, early fall, and they said, "Well, in May, um, then like that'll be the last." So we left in February. Um, you made it to February. Yeah, we left in February. We didn't stick around uh, the the whole time. Wow. Um, and like some of that was like, I was twenty nine at the time, and I am quite confident that I was insufferable. Uh, because I felt <laughs> like it was part of my job to articulate everything the church was doing wrong, right? And that they didn't hire me for the senior pastor position was only proof that they were going in the wrong direction. And I had some serious problems, not theological, but practical ministry problems with the person that they had hired. Um, and we did have different visions about where we were going and we had different, a different number of people in the community. Who's like, I like what Sean says better than what this other person says. And so I don't want to pretend like it wasn't a real problem. And I don't want to pretend like I handled it in the most mature fashion possible. Um, because I'm quite confident I didn't, uh, But what happened after that, like the breaking point after that was um, for me, like I had never in my life failed at anything. Like whether Mm -hmm. it had been sports, whether it had been school, um, whatever, everything that I did, like that's why the people that nurtured me and taught me in college and high school had such high expectations because I didn't fail at anything. And this was, like I mentioned before, we all know each other. We're on like four or six degrees removed from each other. This was a failure and it was a super public failure. And so there were like all of these whispers and Tara Beth mentioned uh, me being an Enneagram three. And the one thing that you can do to lose the trust and confidence of an Enneagram three is to embarrass them in public. Mm -hmm. And I had been embarrassed in public. And at 29, I had no idea of how to deal with that. Like to know that across your denomination of churches, like people that you have known your whole life are, everyone knows, and there are like whispers about your own ability, your own sense of self. Um, And like at 
like at that age, like I just wasn't emotionally prepared uh, to deal with all of that well. And I think I carried some of that. Like there were some real problems when I went to California structurally with that church. But I think I carried some of that obviously like with me, which is why I tell pastors now that I coach that when you get fired from a church, it'll, it probably takes about five years for you to just work through all of the layers of that and what it does to your sense of self. Um, and some of that is because we have a poorly constructed sense of self going in. Um, and so when that takes a hit, um, that's pretty devastating for, for most of us. That's why, that's why so many pastors after a church releases them, just leave ministry altogether, just like psychically, emotionally can't deal with it. And, uh, you know, we need to probably do a better job at helping people expect, like not every church is going to love you. And that really has less to do with you than you think it does. Cause everybody, I'm like, if anyone else in your church got fired from their job, do you know what they have? The church <laughs> to help them maneuver through it. Like there are people in their small group and all this, but it, when it's a pastor and you get, you lose your job, that you don't have the church. You don't have the same, you don't have the same structure around you. Um, and then whenever a pastor is fired, you know, the first casualty is the truth. Um, so I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I think there are probably three people in this conversation. There are four people in this conversation who are quite identifying with what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Um, how do you navigate um, being dismissed, fired, rejected? And you're pointing out it isn't from a job, it's from your community. Mm -hmm. It's an it's an exile. Mm -hmm. But you took another church. I did. Yeah. So you and, go to California. Yeah. So I go to California. We were a misfit from the word go. Um, and that does not mean that there weren't people in that community who cared for us and loved us. Um, but they were in a place um, where I mean, we were just a misfit for one another. Um, and it's kind of like that, that person you dated like in high school or college and you you dated longer than you were you needed to. You should have never dated, right? <laughs> you dated longer than you than you should have. And when you look back at it now, you're like, "How did we ever even get together?" Um, but yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't blame. I don't blame them for our. And I, I write about this in Unarmed Empire. Um, and part of my part of my commitments is to try to honor people and the stories, even when I feel like that I'm the one that's been traumatized. Um, I write, so I write about this in Unarmed Empire, trying to understand what they understood about me. And I think that journey for me, like with Redwood Church in Redwood City, I might spend the rest of my life truly trying to understand what all happened there and what could have been done differently. Like I, um, I came in probably with a too highly exalted opinion of myself and I'm willing to own that. Mm -hmm. um, 
but they came in with too low opinion of me and our, and they had some expectations, um, that I don't think were necessarily fair or right. And in, you know, as my friend, as my friend, Brian McLaren says, sometimes church folks are just mean. And we just had a lot of that. I'm like, it's just, that, that's just mean. And there's no other reason for it. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Sean Isaac Palmer, and uh, we sure did. We appreciated his honesty and transparency. And this was the first half of a conversation. Um, hope you stay tuned or tune in next week to hear the second half of what is a more really good, heartfelt, and profound conversation with this pastor. And so if this episode blessed you, we, we hope that you do share it. Share it with another pastor who is maybe experiencing failure right now or is in the thick of it. Or maybe you want to join the conversation. Go to thepastorstable.com, and we have a space for you to engage, ask questions, write to us. We love hearing from you. And so, friends, as you go this day, may God bless you wherever you are, whether you're in the wilderness or you're in the mountaintop, wherever you are. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you.